Mark chapter 7, beginning with verse 31. And he returned from the region of Tyre and went through Sidon to the Sea of Galilee in the region of the Decapolis. And they brought to him a man who was deaf and had a speech impediment. And they begged him to lay his hand on him. And taking him aside from the crowd privately, he put his fingers into his ears and after spitting, touched his tongue. And looking up to heaven, he sighed and said to him, Ephatha, that is, be opened. And his ears were opened, his tongue was released, and he spoke plainly. And Jesus charged them to tell no one. But the more he charged them, the more zealously they proclaimed it. And they were astonished beyond measure, saying, He has done all things well. He even makes the deaf hear and the mute speak. Amen. And we praise God that he has spoken to us this evening in his holy and inerrant word. As I began meditating upon this text and thinking about what should be said about this text and asking the Holy Spirit to apply it to our hearts this evening, I thought, what about this text sets it apart from the several other healings that we have seen Jesus do so far in the book of of Mark? I thought, well, we could say that it shows Christ's authority, and it certainly does. And I, I feel like I've said that nearly every time I've gotten up here, because that is a theme in the Gospel of Mark. He, we see that Christ's authority was revealed through these miracles, the things that, that the Apostle John calls signs in his account of the Gospel. We could say that it shows Christ's power, and it certainly does. Each of the miracles in all of the Gospels show the power of Christ and give us glimpses into His divinity. We could say that it follows a typical pattern of miracles, and it does. In fact, one commentator said this, this the story, meaning the one we just read, follows a common pattern for a healing story with an approach and request, a healing, an amazed response by the crowd, and in some places... There's also a command to silence, which is broken because of the stunning nature of the miracle. And that's somewhat helpful, and and it's interesting to see the patterns that so many of the accounts, the the miracles take in the Gospel of Mark and in other places. But just saying that, I think, might tend to to threaten to, to kind of numb us a little to what Jesus actually does and to make a, an amazing miracle somewhat commonplace. But think with me. Why did Mark include this story in his account? And why did he put it where he did in the gospel? If Peter, the apostle Peter, stood behind or beside Mark as he was writing this, as a lot of commentators think he he did, um, why did Peter relate this to Mark and say, include this, write this, say this here? And and Mark is the only one in the gospels that, of, of the four gospel writers, that include this story in this detail. I thought about how the Apostle John, when towards the end of his account of the gospel, said this. He said, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. And I think it's, it's not, we're not out of line to assume that that could be said about the other gospel writers as well. Especially with Mark, given the, the brevity of what he wrote and the, the, the length of his book. And we know, of course, that the Holy Spirit inspired God's Word, and what we have is what God wants us to have. 
We have that confidence as people of God that, that Scripture includes what is inspired and what these are God's words to us. The, the Scripture says, For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit, Peter tells us in his second epistle. What we have is God's Word, superintended by the Holy Spirit for our salvation and growth in godliness. But there's a human element to it. So we are back to that question, why did Mark put this here? Well, I think there's a reason, and I think it shows us more of the kingdom of God. What Jesus is doing as he brings in his kingdom, as he ushers in the new kingdom, the kingdom that he is coming, that he is bringing. And I want to look at this under three very simple headings, the place, the healing, and the significance, with much of our time focused on the last of those two, the miracle and what it means. The first thing we want to consider is the place. As we mentioned, this was in uh, Gentile territory. And last time we, we considered this, we looked at the account of the Syrophoenician woman who was a Gentile and her great faith and how Jesus cast the demon out of this woman's daughter at her request. And verse 31 says that Jesus returned from the region of Tyre and went through Sidon to the Sea of Galilee in the region of the Decapolis. And it's an interesting path if we were to trace that out on a map because Sidon is north of Tyre and Decapolis is south and east of Tyre. And it would be like one of us saying that we went through Hockley on our way to Sugarland or something like that. Well, but we must remember that Mark isn't just telling us a simple account of, oh, Jesus went to this place on one, one day and then went to this place on the next. No, this, this period of ministry covered a number of months, maybe as many as six to eight months that Jesus ministered in these Gentile areas. And isn't it wonderful to think that although Jesus was sent to the lost sheep of the house of Israel, he also went to the Gentile uh, places and ministered in Tyre and Sidon. And now, in our text, he's moved to the region of the Decapolis on the east side of the Sea of Galilee, or to the east of that region. This place is Gentile country. And if you remember from Mark chapter 5, this was kind of the same general region where the, the Gerasene demoniac, legion, uh, lived among the tombs, and, and Jesus went into that region and brought and, and restored that man to, to health and to a sound mind and to salvation by his power over the demons. So we see that Jesus came to those outside the covenant that they might know the Lord of the covenant and be introduced, introduced to the blessings of the new covenant in him. So we notice the place of the healing. But we also must consider the somewhat interesting and maybe strange to our ears details of this healing. We're not told why this man was deaf, deaf, only that some of his friends brought him to Jesus and begged Jesus to heal him. And Jesus brought healing to this man in a most unusual way. He began by taking him away from the crowds. Now, often we see Jesus healing in the midst of the crowds, sometimes when when the crowds are pressed in around him, Jesus healed people. But for some reason, Jesus took him away from the bulk of the people. And we, we don't know exactly why, but it seems plausible that Jesus is seeking to somehow limit his exposure to some degree. 
Because everywhere, all along in the Gospel of Mark, we see that, that just huge crowds followed and flocked to him. And <clears throat> the time has not yet come for his suffering and death. So perhaps Jesus was wanting to limit his exposure in some way and still work the healing that this man and his friends were asking for. And then Jesus does several things that, that seem strange and even distasteful to us in our culture. First, he puts his fingers into the ears of the deaf man, as if he was somehow seeking to communicate to this man who lived in silence that I'm doing something with your ears. And then our Lord spat. And, and that's a strange thing. And, and probably some of you had a little reaction to that, to think that the Lord Jesus would do that and, and do that in such a way. And we don't know exactly the details, but commentators think that he perhaps spit upon his hand and then touched the man's tongue with his hand. We don't know exactly why that is. Scripture doesn't tell us. But we know it was not because Jesus had magic saliva. It was not that a certain process had to be followed. We saw that, that other healings, Jesus would just speak a word. He didn't even have to be in the presence of the person that needed healed. And he could heal them from afar. No, we know his power supersedes any magical right, certainly. But as one commentator said, probably the simple answer is the best. That Jesus was communicating with the man in the only language that the man could understand. By means of things acted out in front of him. Jesus spoke to him in a way that he understood. And just as Jesus had entered the land of the Gentiles, Jesus entered the world of this man. The silent world of this man who perhaps had never heard a sound. Jesus came into his world and said, I am going to change your world. And then it says that Jesus looked up to heaven. It doesn't give us the words of his prayers, but we, we know he must have been communicating with his father. It was the same thing that he did um, before he fed the 5,000, that Jesus looked up to his heavenly father. There we see that he did speak words, but perhaps Jesus had an unspoken prayer. Jesus communed with his Father. He sought in all things to glorify his Father. And he sought the face of the Father here in this case. And then he sighed. I think he may have sighed as he was reminded of the fact that this man's sin and disease was just a picture of how all creation is under the effects of sin and not as it should be. The effects of sin were all around Jesus and they're all around us. But Jesus came in to usher in a new kingdom. Christ's healings were signs of a bigger picture of what he came to do. He went over all over Israel and even into Gentile territory, bringing healing and forgiveness from sin and showing that Satan's forces are being driven back and that he was bringing his kingdom. Romans 8.22 reminds us that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now and not only the creation but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the spirit grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for the adoption as sons the redemption of our bodies we live in a fallen world we are so so much reminded of that every day and yet we are looking forward to a time 
when Christ's work will be completed, not just in our spirits, but in our bodies and in the world itself. We can sigh with Jesus when we remember that all creation is groaning under the weight of sin. This world is not as it should be. When we see the effects of sin and disease in ourselves, remember that Christ came to bring restoration. And we look forward to the completion of that work. We live between the already of His kingdom inaugurated and the not yet of the completion of His renewing work in the new heavens and the new earth. Jesus sighed and then He spoke. He spoke what could have been the first word that this man ever heard. He said, Ephatha, which is the Aramaic for be opened. The man who could hear nothing hears his first word, which was a command to his ears to be opened. This man who could not form words properly because he had never heard words properly, if at all, could now speak God's praise plainly. And that word must have struck a bell with Peter. That must have stayed with him for decades afterwards. Because, and and I just imagine the conversation that, that Peter might have had with Mark about this. Or with some of the other disciples about it. They must have looked on with awe as our Lord Jesus ministered to this man. And in a simple word in Aramaic, brought about this man's healing. So what is the significance of this healing? I think it's easy for sometimes for us to pass it over as perhaps one of Jesus' lesser miracles, as if there are such a thing. Remember that miracles were signs. A sign points to something. Well, what does it point us to? Well, let us think about what Jesus says about hearing. Already in the Gospel of Mark, he's spoken about hearing. We see it especially in chapter 4 in the parable of the soils. And after the initial telling of the parable, what did Jesus say? He said, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. And then Jesus explains that parable by showing us each type of soil. He says, one has heard the word, but in the case of the hardened soil did not receive it because of the hardness of their heart. In both the thorny and the rocky soil, something else has kept the seed of the gospel from taking deep root. It's only in the good soil that the gospel is heard and received and the seed takes root and truly grows. There's something to hearing. And then in that same parable, he uses that to explain the fact that there are some outside the kingdom that do not hear, that cannot hear. They will not understand. Their ears are closed to the truth of the gospel. And that is true for you and I as well. We will not, we cannot hear God's voice unless our ears are opened. Unless God works to heal our hearing and give us spiritual hearing to hear his voice. If you are here this evening and have not come to Christ in faith and repentance, you need to have your hearing restored, your spiritual hearing restored so that you can hear God's voice. Come to Christ, seek him Repent of your sins and ask Him to heal you of your spiritual blindness and deafness. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved, the gospel tells us. But even after we come to Christ, there's so much noise in our world today. 
There's so many things that vie for our hearing. There's so many voices that speak into our lives. We live in an age of 24-hour-a-day news and sports and business news and questions and, and advertisements and things that, that just constantly bombard us for a hearing. There's so many things that compete for our listening ears. And I beg of you, take time to listen to the commanding and caring voice of our Savior who first called you and said to your ears, be opened so your ears, so that you could hear his voice. Listen to him. He speaks. He speaks to us in his word. Hear him. And there's also something quite significant in the response of the people that were there. Jesus told them to tell no one. Jesus knew that there would be those that might misinterpret his miracle. In the land of Israel in that day, as you well know, they were under the yoke of the Roman government. And they were eager to have someone rise up and overthrow the Romans. But Jesus didn't come to bring political revolt. No, his kingdom is a spiritual kingdom. He is the King of kings and Lord of lords now and forever. And there will come a day when every knee will bow and every tongue will confess this. But when our Lord was upon the earth, he only gave small hints of the magnitude of his kingdom. He came to deal with our sin. He did that, of course, through his sinless life and his death upon the cross in our stead. And he had to avoid certain situations and went out of his way, humanly speaking, to keep from being captured sooner before, his time was, before the time was right, when it was time for him to complete his work and go to the cross. And that's likely the reason for this admonition. But the interesting thing was, is they couldn't keep silent. They couldn't help themselves. They saw what Jesus had done and they were amazed and they couldn't be quiet. They saw a man who could not hear, whose ears were opened. The man who could not speak properly had his tongue loosed and could not stop talking about God, what God had done for him. But what about you? Are, 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 is that news fresh to you? Do you remember the day that your ears were opened? Or the, or the way in which God worked to draw you to himself? Remember when you were, you, were, you were new to the Christian faith or perhaps came to the Reformed faith and understood the greatness of God and your salvation. You couldn't stop talking about the grace of God that was yours in Christ. Oh, I pray that God would keep us with that zealous, eager nature, uh, part of us, to proclaim the gospel. May it always be fresh on our hearts. And finally, let us consider the words of verse 37. And these form a short summary statement of the miracle because it says, They were astonished beyond measure, saying, He has done all things well. He even makes the deaf hear. And the mute speak. And from this, two Old, Old Testament passages may come to mind. One is in Isaiah 35, verses 5 and 6, where it's talking about what God is going to do to bring his kingdom after a time of judgment upon Israel. And he said, Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened, and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then shall the lame man leap like a deer, and the tongue of the mute sing for joy. For waters break forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. Isaiah is promising a restoration. And we see that in Christ. 
we see it fulfilled and we see it beginning to be fulfilled in the time of Christ's sojourn upon the earth. And what we have before us is just a snapshot of what God is doing in the restoration of His people and of creation. The other passage is from the creation account in the book of Genesis. The people saw the miracle that Jesus had done and said that He has done all things well. And it's reminiscent of the language that that the Holy Spirit inspired Moses to write. That God saw what He had created and it was good. So these people agreed that the work of recreation that Jesus began and showed in this man that it was good as well. Jesus has begun the restoration of his creation. However, we only see it in small pieces in the Gospels. It's almost like we're seeing little vignettes of what is to come. Much like a movie trailer whets your appetite to see the full-length production. Mark gives us a little trailer of the full production of this account. Now, as you probably well know, some movie trailers only show you the best part. And you re- when you go to watch the movie, you realize that they put all the good parts in that 90-second commercial. And basically, the commercial's better than the movie. But that's not so with this film. Just you wait. This full-length p- production will blow your socks off. Because it's perfect and it's endless. It's for eternity. Jesus came to seek and save the lost. He came to restore creation by restoring hearts and lives. He first reconciles us to God. He forgives our sins. And then we are reminded that He will someday restore all of His creation to wholeness and perfection as we worship Him for eternity in the new heavens and new earth. Let us pray.